What's up everyone? This is your host Mehul Agarwal. Welcome to the brand new episode of Growth Run Podcast where we will interview an entrepreneur or a startup founder who'd share their business stories, strategies, ups and downs, and of course their growth stories and all the good things. Hi, so today we have uh, Kumar Rora who's a serial entrepreneur, investor, TV celebrity and uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of his uh, ventures, his story into the business world as well as we're going to be talking about some of his ventures, how he grew it. So over to you Kumar, why don't you start with, you know, introducing yourself. Yeah, hi Mail, thanks for having me. My name is Kumar and uh, I'm a star entrepreneur, investor on CNBC, a contributor to Forbes and always looking to help build the next big business. That's great. So, so Kumar, if you can just talk through a little bit about uh, some of your recent ventures, it could be both uh, the business that you kind of run as well mm-hmm. as uh, which you invest in and maybe, you know, you are investing as well as you are uh, involved in the day-to-day operations. That would yeah. be helpful. Yeah. Uh, so far with, you know, 2018 uh, starting up, I've got a lot of new, exciting, different businesses. Specifically, I'm launching a project in about a month from now called LuxoJet, and it's a concierge program uh, combined with you know private jets. And our job is to, and the reason we're creating it is that we've noticed that with the private jet services, you know, it's strictly just flights. But we're here to offer a greater uh, way to fly. So if you want specific services built in within that, we can then provide it. So it's kind of unique because uh, that market, especially in the Los Angeles area, you know, it's easy to book a flight. But if you want a masseuse or you want sushi or you want anything you can think of, that's our job is to help create a, a new way to fly. So I'm really excited for that. We've got some, a lot of great partners. One of my partners is actually a football player. Uh, his name is Paul Kruger. He plays for the Saints. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really exciting other partners that are involved. And um, I'm really excited to launch that in about a month from now. And outside of that, you know, keeping busy with my existing projects. I'm also launching and, and working on two new TV shows for CNBC mm-hmm. um, that will hopefully be launching on their digital platform coming out later this year. So okay. that's also some exciting news. But yeah, overall, ha- pretty happy about 2018. Wow. So 2018 uh, would be great. I mean, this LuxoJet project sounds very interesting. So just help us a little bit to understand about the market. Is that going to serve you know, the market for celebrities? Is that going to serve market for any regular person who can just take that flight? Well, as you know, you know, luxury travel, the keyword here is luxury. So it's not necessarily accessible to everyone. But Mm -hmm. our goal here is to, you know, obviously cater to a crowd that can afford private jets. But we want to be able to add, you know, the asterisk here where it's, you know, private chef or a masseuse or extra extra bonuses that can come with the flight. And that's coming through my strategic partnerships, some of the brands I already own and other ways to just kind of value add to the idea of flying private, you know, so it's not just a booking, but it's a little bit more, more of an experience. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And that's one of your projects. So tell us a little bit about how did you get started in the whole business arena Tell us that story, you know, and what was your motivation? How did you even understood about yourself that you're a business person? Because in today's world, entrepreneurship is glorified and sexy. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to do it. Yeah. But if you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. Right. uh, 
So help us understand a little bit about your journey. How did you kind of figure out about you being a businessman? You know, for me, I get that question a lot. And it's actually a really fun story to tell because when I was growing up, the key word of entrepreneurship and building a business was not common. You know, even uh, in college, you know, it wasn't a necessary major that you see today. And it wasn't glorified, like you said. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I grew up in an Indian household. My father was a scientist. My mom was an artist. So for me, both of my parents were creators to some degree. Uh, little did I know they, they wanted me to go to medicine and they pushed me towards that. But I didn't realize that they were teaching me the foundations of business and entrepreneurship at the same time to be able to develop a product or analyze something in the lab or design from my mother. So for me, I was slowly building the, the tools needed to, to start a business. And it wasn't until college where I started a couple projects, which I have now exited, mm-hmm. that did really well, where I was able to, you know, pay my way through college. I was able to build a business. And for me, I graduated during the recession, which was 2008. So it was a really bad time for the market. No one was getting jobs. People were being laid off. So for me, I remember my guidance counselor in, in college saying, you know, if you can't find a job, you're going to have to make one. You have to survive. And that honestly became my story. I was the byproduct of the economy in some ways. You know, so for me, taking, you know, the, the, the foundations of my parents to the experiences of college have led me down a path where I now have to build businesses. And then obviously I am now able to invest in businesses and, and help work with people on their, their endeavors and their passions. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate to it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to education, of course. So I see that, you know, we talked about your education. You, you've kind of, you know, majored in economics. So mm-hmm. did you get a push to go to a medicine school and did you go to one and then? Oh, back? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was three years in. I was pre-med. And then the final year is when I switched. Um, I still stayed within arts and sciences because economics covered it. But you know, I still wanted to do something. I mean, with economics, it's still science-based, but it is business in some ways. Oh, yeah. So for me, I was still able to graduate, but I had a business a business mind, but I still have a background in science. And I still, to this day, you know, I still think with an analytical approach that comes from science. That's great. Now, let's talk about the first few ventures. I know you have a lot under your belt. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the first few ventures. So how did you get started? Which year? Any information around the growth and numbers in terms of revenue, those kind of things? That'd be great. Yeah. So for me, like I said, 2008, I left college. I had one business called Black Rose Entertainment. I was doing a lot of work with celebrities. I was working with nightlife, uh, producing events, doing marketing and whatnot. During that time, I was able to work with a lot of artists that you see today on the radio and in concerts. And I was fortunate enough at an early age to build their businesses and and really learn the ropes of touring, marketing, web development, anything revolving around creating an artist and getting them, you know, to the top. So that was one of my businesses. Uh, I was doing really well in the first year at, you know, age 20, I was already breaking six figure numbers and steadily growing from there. And I was able to pay through college, fortunate enough, you know, by putting the time and and doing something I loved. That was the most important thing was I did something that I genuinely enjoyed. I never really did it for the money. I just did it because I was in the market. I knew what I was doing and I had an audience, right? And that's wow. part of the big problem with business is that we don't really think about our audience. And for me, outside of my backyard, I had 60,000 students at Ohio State. Wow. So for me, it was it was pretty easy to get their attention. I just had to, you know, 
provide something that they wanted. Fast forward maybe about six months to a year after college, I started another company called ProtoFrog, which was a design development studio, which was acquired uh, in 2010, about a year and a half later. And I was, again, providing a lot of the services that those artists could, would use, you know, whether it's web development, iPhone development, graphic design, and to the point where I started to grow and I started taking on corporate clients like Coca-Cola and Verizon. Wow. Uh, and this was about seven, eight years ago before websites were that easy to make, before graphic design was readily available. Mm-hmm. So I was doing it before the templates and, and the, the plug and play models we see today. For me, the reason I exited both of these ventures was primarily because it wasn't something I wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously given, right? right? But at the same time, I wanted to see what else I can do. I, I was still very young. I still wanted to explore. And once you have, you know, a chance to exit, you then want to think, what else can I be working on? Or what are my true passions? Or what can I be learning? I'm still pretty young. Why don't I try something else? And for me, that's really when the investment game began to start. And that was now closer to 26 in my life. And I'm now 32. So it's about six, seven years of investing at that point. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, You basically sold your client services agency business, right? Mm -hmm. So to speak. And then, you know, the whole, you know, the the marketing firm, that's also very interesting. I mean, to build a six-figure business and through your college, that's commendable. So what do you think? I mean, uh, how business helped you grow as a person? And uh, what do you think? I mean, is it something that, that you would recommend to everyone? What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, as far as on not on the professional side, on a, on a personal side, right? I feel mm-hmm. like I've grown in such ways where I've learned to do business with all different kinds of people. I've been able to work in different places across the country, um, even internationally, right? And these are mm-hmm. options you don't normally get in school or at a workplace, right? And right. at the same time with business, you have to wear every hat, right? So mm-hmm. if there's one point where you have to ship your product, you have to learn to ship. If you have to design it, you have to design it. If you have to learn the legal end of things or the regulations, you got to learn that too. So for me in my early age, I was the guy wearing every hat, doing my own trademarks, learning about how to file a business, right? At the same time, while I'm doing that, I'm learning how do I do the marketing, the branding, all that stuff. So I think that's a really great part about business is that you get to do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. until you can then ask someone else's help or, or begin to hire or bring on, you know, partners. And in my case, early on, I was doing my own accounting. I was doing my own legal work. I was doing my own basic foundation of business. And I think today that really helps me because it tells me that you don't have to be afraid of pieces of your business that you don't like. If someone says, Kumar, are you willing to go to the lab and work on this? I won't be afraid. Similarly, if they say, Kumar, can you run a retail operation? I won't be afraid of that because I can pretty much figure it out because I've done something similar in the past. Got it. And I think that's what business gets to do is you get to wear a lot of hats and, and move around a lot, which you don't get in the normal workplace. And to your second question is, is everybody fit for it? It's kind of dependent on the person themselves. Are they receptive to trying new things? Are they open to putting on the different hats needed for business? Or at the same time, are they in a position where working for themselves or being self-employed is a better option than the typical nine to five. It really depends on the person and, and where they are in life and, and what their behaviors are. Got it. That makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the whole point that you kind of made, at least to the answer to my first question, was the ability, the 
you know, business teaches you the skills to figure things out. Yeah. And you won't necessarily know everything on day one. Mm-hmm. But if you start anything, I mean, not just business, but anything. But if you have the ability to figure things out, for example, if you have never started, say, a biotech company, and you don't know what are, what are some of the regulations or mm-hmm. some of the things that are required for that particular business, business has taught you to kind of figure things out. So yeah. you would be able to kind of figure things out very fast. That's great. And if you can't, I think the big thing about entrepreneurship is you have to be willing to, right? You have to be open to the idea. And I always say this quote, this is something I say, it's written in a lot of publications. I always say that entrepreneurship is not like climbing the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. We're either building a rocket to the top or mm-hmm. we're building a bomb that will explode any moment. Now, while that sounds grim, at the same time, think about it. We are working in such a way where we're not climbing a ladder. We're working on something that can either going to work really well or it's not going to work at all. Right. right. And even though it might be a bomb that might explode, you learn from that experience and then you try and try again. Right. And I, I think that a lot of people resonate with that quote that I always say, especially in, when I'm doing a lot of public speaking, is that they just get it because it's usually a moment in time where it just clicks and you get it. And it just makes sense that I have to pursue business. I have to develop a product. I have to rise up in the ring. It isn't something where you work to get the next raise or you work to get the next opportunity. You really just know that this is my calling and this is what I'm supposed to do. Absolutely. So it's one way or the other. So yeah. either you make it or you're done. Yeah. So that's absolutely right when it comes to mm-hmm. business, and I totally agree. Now, yeah. now let's move on to you know your you know I think I first want to move to your investment part. Yeah. How did you enter you know the whole arena of investment and those kind of things? And the second part that I want to talk about is uh, you know about you entering the whole you know celebrity TV arena. Yeah. So let's talk. Yeah, about- I mean. It's uh, it's funny that you even mentioned my beginnings because the beginnings lead me to where I am today, right? right. So in the case of my mom and dad, both teaching me uh, science and art at the same time, I realized that as I'm growing up, I'm learning a lot of new skills. I just didn't know where the skills will eventually be applied, right? So one day I'm, I'm learning about something technical. The next day I might be learning something about being creative. But I didn't realize that now that I've amassed different skills and I've hired people with different mm-hmm. skills, that I can then now invest in those same spaces. Right. And it's kind of interesting to see kind of the, the parlay from going from serial entrepreneur to owning different businesses, then now be working in investments. Right. And for me, you know, obviously we're fast forwarding now six, seven years. Mm-hmm. It's cool because I invest in things I have a general understanding in, right? I'm missing only a few of the pieces, but I know most of them to go where I need to go. And I think that's been my investment strategy is that Ideally, if I have 75% of the assets, the tools, the resources, then I know I can figure out the other 25 along the way. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a fashion brand or a consumer product or a private jet business, I have an understanding on what need, what's needed. Sometimes the product might change, but the operations and the product is relatively the same. Got it. So yeah. it was cool because as I moved on, I, I moved into fashion, I moved into nanotech, I moved into... Uh, a soda company, and now I'm moving into aviation. But generally, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm working in investments. I'm working in the marketing. I'm working in the branding. But the product always kind of gets a new, a new revamp, or it gets a reboot, or 
or become something new. And that actually, and that combined with the work I've done with celebrities got the attention of LeBron James, greatest, you know, one of the, our greatest athletes on the planet. He recognized my work and I luckily we were both, uh, you know, from the same area, we're both from Cleveland. And he's seen the work that I've done and he asked, you know, his team has asked me to become an investor on CNBC for one of their properties, one of their shows called Cleveland Hustles. And it was aired on uh, CNBC. We were the number two show at the time in season one. And it was very similar to Shark Tank where people approached us, they come and seek investment. And then the difference was we pick only one business. And from there, we see what happens. We go from investor to now partner and you get to see what happens with that money. And it was a great time. We had a lot of fun. It was one of the great experiences that you get to, you know, do what you do in real life on television. You know, that doesn't happen every day. So it was pretty cool for me. And I now live in Los Angeles. I'm still working in the media and TV arena. And on top of it all, and this is kind of the cool part is I'm the first Indian American Mm -hmm. to ever be on television as an investor. And then secondly, I'm also the youngest investor in the CNBC roster. Wow. So uh, kind of exciting. You know, I never really thought in my life that I'd you know, go from doing events and, and doing web development to all of a sudden being on the, the talent side of things and now, in a sense, representing the youth or representing Indian Americans. So it's, uh, it's exciting to be able to kind of pave a path that maybe my younger self will one day see. Well, I mean, this is pretty interesting journey. I mean, uh, catching LeBron James' attention, that's huge. Landing a show and then becoming one of the youngest investors, the youngest investor, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've seen Shark Tank and, uh, you know, which is, I mean, Chris Saka, who probably be in their late 30s or, you know, early 40s or late 40s and 50s, uh, Kevin and Larry, uh, Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, for your age, I totally agree. I think you're probably the youngest investor out there when it comes to shows like, you know, Cleveland Hustles and Shark mm-hmm. Tank and, and those kind of similar uh, yeah. shows. So so now let's talk about, you know, about your uh, investments, you know. So which are the companies that you're investing currently? And is do you only limit yourself to investment or, you know, you are one of those pers- uh, people who likes to get their hands dirty and help the companies grow. But at the same time, you're not micromanaging the business owners or the entrepreneurs, but helping them to grow and succeed. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. I, I almost feel like I don't have to talk because you just said exactly what I was about to tell you is I actually don't really believe in just the standard investment process. I really believe that as former entrepreneurs or people who have these skills, we should try to contribute and, and guide these young minds the right way. So I love the idea of being in the trenches and helping build the business alongside them. For me, it's almost like a high. I, I don't want to be the guy sitting back reading reports all day. I want to be able to contribute and help and, and uh, be a part of their story too. So I love doing that. And that's been my mantra the whole way. Um, thus far, I've got about a couple of new projects I'm launching this quarter. And I love the idea of aggressively finding ways or having my team get involved as well to help with the creative, help with the narrative, take care of, you know, the business end of things. I enjoy doing that. And I think that that's been kind of a way we like to run our investment, but Mm -hmm. I know other firms are a little different. But personally, I just feel like I owe it to my fellow brothers and sisters, my entrepreneur friends to be a part of their story. I was them too at one point. Right. And I think uh, probably I should ask this question to you uh, rather than me kind of explaining uh, this point is, 
See, when you are young and you're investing in companies and you have people who are youngsters and trying to ask money from the investors and if the investors try to kind of be, help them, if they're of the same age, does that help? Because they are able to resonate much better because of the, you know, age, there's, there's no age difference or very less. So does that help? Uh, as far as being similar in age? Yes. I think it can help, but it can also hurt in some ways, right? Because, you know, there's obviously respect if you're younger than mm-hmm. your, your own investments. But at the same time, like in this case, I've got some investments where I am younger to the founder or I'm significantly older where I'm about 10 plus years older than my investments. So mm-hmm. it really just depends on the dynamic of the person and our relationship. But for the most part, I like to lead a, a, a strong friendship as, alongside my investments. And one of my investments specifically, it's called Ilthi, stands mm-hmm. for I Love the Hype. It's a clothing company I invested into about six years ago now, five, six years ago. And it was the first opportunity where I realized that I could create a real impact by helping other entrepreneurs who may be struggling or have not figured out how to build big business. And that was the first time I, I ever invested with my heart before my brain, where I truly fell in love with the business. I fell in love with the concept. It lacked the business plan. But I really believed in the founder and that he needed investment for his own livelihood, for his family, for his daughter, for his future. And I looked at him and I saw my I saw myself in some ways. But at the same time, I was I told myself, I have to invest in these kind of people because you have to help them. If you help them, chances are 10 years from now, they will do the same for somebody else. And that's the way we should lead our lives. Investment should not always be about Excel files and numbers right? Or, or projections, sometimes it's good to think about the person and what you can do for their family. And similarly, moving, taking that concept, when I was casting for Cleveland Hustles, I told them that my process has always been about the heart more than the brain at times. And I really believe that we should be helping our community. And that's exactly what we did. We invested about over a million dollars in one little neighborhood in Cleveland. And we brought over 50 jobs in a matter of two and a half months on the show. Wow. And that's important. You know, I think it's important to contribute to society. It's great to make money, right? It's great to become successful, but it's even better when you can create an impact for where you live, who you're around, or, you know, you're even your employees creating a better life. That's what it's about. That's why we're here on this planet. A hundred percent. And, and um, yeah. that's, that's something that, you know, a, a lot of people, when they kind of reach a position or, uh, in their life or, you know, if they have a lot of money, they get the high of money. And I think then you just get sucked into the whole money game and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. It becomes a chase. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love the fact that your podcast is called Growth Run. And for me personally, I, when I see Growth Run, I think of growth in a different way about being, being mindful, being respectful, thinking about others, right? And that's true growth. If you can become successful, that's great. And you can make a lot of money, that's great. But if you can grow as a person and go beyond one more step and think about your employees and how you're going to create an impact for, say, your community, that's true growth. And I, again, you know, you got to run with that. That's exactly what we should be leading. And I think that these days, well, especially on social media, we're all leading a certain life and other, you know, entrepreneur investor types are obviously telling you to work really hard and hustle and do these things. But they're forgetting that, you know, life is just as important and the people you're around are just as important. And I think mindfulness is a big thing that we should be talking about and discussing in 2018. 
to become better people, but then also invest in the right people and invest in the right places. Absolutely. Talking about what separates you as an investor, and, and uh, you know, investment is huge here in the valley. So, yeah, what sets you separate when it comes to the typical Silicon Valley investor and yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've had a lot of great successes, but just as many successes, I've had just as many failures. I've had the tech startups that have failed. I've made investments and in things that just didn't work out, and that's normal. That's part of the failure, and that's part of life. But for me, I guess that what separates me from the you know Silicon Valley investors, I don't invest as much into tech yet. I did in the past during my web development phase, but mm-hmm. I had some big losses, so I've kind of stepped away and I build more brick and mortar businesses. I build more e-commerce. I build more brand-oriented projects. Because that's actually where my strengths lie. So I've been a little more hesitant, not going to lie, mm-hmm. towards creating stuff in the tech space. But that's not to say I won't, because I do have plans and I do have ideas and I have been looking at investments in that space, but I have been a little more uh, hesitant, you could say, in that in that area. I understand. And, and yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, have, have passion towards one way or the other. And, and Silicon Valley, uh, you know, has the heritage of people investing traditionally in, in tech startups. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, some other folks need to focus on, um, you know, brands and products and uh, yeah. brick and mortar stores. And, um, you know, why not a person like you? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, you know, I've got projects in nanotech. I've got consumer brands. I've got food and beverage. I built a bar, you know, yeah, last year. So my investments are very front facing. At the same mm-hmm. time, I also live in Los Angeles, which is very different from Silicon Valley, where we've got, you know, music and entertainment and, and television and movies in our backyard, especially with this influencer space is all primarily here. So for me, you know, I currently work in that space, but that's not to say I won't change at some point. I say this a lot in, in public speaking as well, is it's not about, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. It's what can you be while you're growing up? What all can you be while you're growing up? And that's important to think about is that, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was working in events and I was doing web development. Then I began to work in, in fashion brands, and then I started working in e-commerce. And now I'm working in strictly primarily in investments. So I feel that being so young, I've seen every few years my focus shifts because I learn new things, and I choose to. And I think that that's a great great thing to tell others, that we can do more than one thing. We can invest in other projects. So today I might not be, you know, I might be the guy in L.A. working on in TV, but tomorrow it could be biotech or it could be health. Who knows? And I like to think that way because I like enjoying that big question mark of where will my life go every five years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense. There's mm-hmm. actually a saying or a quote by Casey Neistat, uh, which yeah. is on the similar lines. I mean, you know, when nothing is for sure, everything is open. I think I think it's something like that. Yeah. I, I don't quite remember um, the exact words. So that's interesting. So before we we kind of wrap in in the next couple of minutes, I want to ask you one last question, which is, mm-hmm. what do you see in the entrepreneurs that you invest in? What is that one or two or or maybe three things that you see in an entrepreneur where you decide to invest in those entrepreneurs? The the second follow up question or an extension to that question is, do you believe in uh, betting on the jockey? Or on the horse? Oh, that's a good question. 
Okay. Well, the first part is what do I look for? And for me, I always look for the first thing is do they have the drive or the insatiable interest or passion in this industry, right? Because I've noticed that these days everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. It's very glamorized. But do they really love this business? And if you ask the right questions, you can see that electricity within them. And I call it magic. Do they have the magic, right? And if they don't have the drive, then chances are they don't have the magic, right? Mm -hmm. And I need to always see that. If I can't feel it in either way, the hustle or the drive, or then the same talent or magic or spark in their eyes, if I can't feel those two primary factors, it's hard for me to feel it too. I guess being an investor, that's also part of my ability is that I feed off of my founders, right? right? And if they don't have it, then I can't do as much either. I need to absorb their energy mm -hmm. for me to be able to output that and shift it and help channel it the right way, which is something many founders don't know how to do. So those are probably the two main things I look for. The, after that, then it's your typical investment type of questions, whether they've got their, their handle on the business, it's already running, they've got a strong case or a pitch deck, you know, I need to see the, the foundation of business, but it's always, it always ends up becoming their drive meets the magic or the energy levels. Gotcha. Okay. I have seen businesses where they say, Oh, I love design and I love doing this stuff. But then I ask them, can you show me? And mm -hmm. then they show me and they didn't necessarily design it the right way. But if they did do it the right way or they knew how to do it, or they at least did the research for themselves on how to do it, then you know they genuinely like to do it. But if you don't love what you're actually doing, it's hard for me to love it too. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, And then secondly, your question was the horse or the jockey. And that's a tough one. I don't know. I mean, it really depends on the industry. But I guess for me, the horse doesn't always have to move quickly. But the mm -hmm. operator has to be somebody who's stable because I can't afford to have a fast horse and a jockey that falls off of it. Got it. Right. And I've heard this great analogy. I can't remember where, but as an investor, my job is to kind of provide the rocket fuel to the rocket. But if the entrepreneur cannot build a rocket and they build me a car instead, the rocket fuel won't work. It won't, it won't be able to work like maneuver properly. What if I, I need them to build a rocket, but they build me a plane instead? That's great and all, but I need them to build the right thing. So I feel like the jockey is more important here because even if it's a slow moving horse, mm -hmm. at least it's moving. That's more important here. That's a great answer. And, and, yeah. and to the first question, I know we are short of time and probably we are towards the end of our meeting. I mean, this this call. Uh, yeah. I think the first point is about the energy. I mm -hmm. think that's a very important point because you know, if you have that energy coming from the founder where they are hungry, they have the drive, and of course they have that magic, then it just elevates your energy and puts mm -hmm. you in a position of delivering at uh, 100%. And uh, combined, I think uh, that creates a, a bigger magic. Right. And I mean, the other thing to think about for entrepreneurs that are out there, if I'm investing in you and you have low drive or low passion, then chances are I can already predict that you're not going to be able to run this business for the long term or you're going to get burnt out and give up. And there's a variety of different things that can happen if you're missing high energy and high drive. You need to have a little bit of both to really make it. So as entrepreneurs out there, you have to think about that. If I don't have one of those, then chances are I can't excite my team, my employees, my partners, or an investor. So that's why, and parlaying this to your next question, that's why the jockey is, to me, so much more important. I'm okay with a slow horse. I just want to make sure that the guy can stay on that horse and eventually get that horse to move faster, right? That's through working out. That's through conditioning. That's through 
testing and that's, you know, obviously continuing that race. So the jockey is always, always the most important. And that's part of my job is to create the next me and create the next jockey. So for me, you know, 100% on the operator more than the machine. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, that's great. And Kumar, before we wrap up, yeah, if you have to leave the audience with any tips on, uh, you know, growing their business, especially uh, I know, uh, you know, on the on the influencer side, because I mm-hmm. think uh, you being in L.A. plus, you knowing a lot about marketing and branding. And today we talk a lot about influencer marketing. What would that be like one or two tips, whatever you feel you know, is? is yeah. Sense? You know, we're in a really great time period right now. If you go back even five years, 10 years, 15, 20, you don't have the tools we used to have. I used to go to the library to, to read and study. I didn't have access to Google the way we did growing up. And I think that's an important an element here. And obviously, it's part of our everyday life now, and we're using technology to our favor, but we're also forgetting about the connections, right? Today, right. Like, like you, Mayhill, you reached out to me on Instagram, and immediately I responded for, you know, that I would love to be a part of this. And I think that's great that we can now communicate with others and share knowledge and share resources and, and obviously grow. And I think that's important to tell people that you don't have to hide. It's okay to send messages and email and contact and learn and research. These are the tools that are now given to us that I didn't have 15 mm-hmm. years ago when I was starting my first few businesses. Right. Right. And if I have to leave everyone with something is don't be afraid. It's great that you can now do this. So take advantage of it because if you're not, somebody else is. And I think that's where I would want to leave people is, you know, to keep reaching out, keep networking, look for that mentor, look for those podcasts and be a part of the community because it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. It's a lot better now than it was when I was starting off in 20, 2005, right? Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we have all the tools, all the technology, and most of them are free today, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody's charging you to be on Instagram and build a brand. Yeah. Uh, if you have the chops, you can. Yeah. And for me, I mean, just for everyone out there, I read every email that comes in. I read every message. I like to communicate and I like to participate because I'm part of the community. So for me, if you got a cool business, share it with me. If you need some guidance, I will point you to the right, right book or the right article. I love doing it because I owe it to my entrepreneurs, you know, and I, that's why I encourage people is, you know, get yourself out there, get uncomfortable and, and let people hear about you. We're that's social media and and technology is for is to, you know, get out there. Absolutely. And and I totally second that. I reached out to mm-hmm. him on Instagram and I got the response like probably in the first couple of hours. So yeah. I think he's pretty accessible. So if you guys have a business or need suggestions, this guy has actually been there, done that. Now he's investing in companies. If you have a cool idea, hit him up. His Instagram, I think it's Kiarora007. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Uh, come on. Yeah. And that's, that's my social handle on everything on the internet so facebook twitter instagram myspace vine you name the social that's probably my name on there <laughs> so you can find me pretty easily hit him up great yeah. uh, kumar thanks for your time today and uh, uh you know we really appreciate it and yeah definitely uh, thank you for having me absolutely great thank you yep. take care bye you too so if you enjoy our content and you would like to hear more of it please support us by leaving us your comments reviews and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast thanks